Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Kate and I are discussing a paper called The Approach to Clinical Nutrition by Pat Harris and Sarah Nelson. While there's no single correct way of feeding horses, we all know that inappropriate diets and feeding regimens can negatively impact equine health, welfare, behavior, and performance. It is also recognized that nutrition can be part of the problem as well as the solution for several key clinical conditions such as obesity, laminitis, and certain muscle disorders. In addition, nutrition, along with veterinary support, has a role to play in the management of many clinical conditions such as gastric ulcers. This means that having a competency in equine nutrition or having an experienced equine nutritionist is part of your support network is key to owners as well as veterinarians. So this week, Kate and I are going to discuss this. And also, it's important to know if you do have an equine nutritionist, what qualifications they should have to be able to uh, put it out there that they're such. Because we know in the UK, there's a certification. Um, in the US, usually equine nutritionists have a PhD. So anyway, what do you think of this paper, Kate? I thought it was brilliant. And that's a great first point to start on, Nancy, because we've mentioned in the past about how um, anyone can kind of call themselves a farrier in America. Mm -hmm. and how that poses a lot of problems and it's the same with the nutritionist title it's not protected so there is um, a voluntary register of nutritionists and that's in the UK I'm sure I as you said I don't think there's one um, in the US but you it's voluntary you don't have to register to be a nutritionist so I think that's a good place to start because the ones who are taking the extra steps, you know, to do the extra learning, to log and um, continual professional development, which means every year they're going to be reading research papers, going to talks and seminars and updating their knowledge of nutrition. They're the ones that you're going to see registered first and foremost. Secondly, if you are a nutritionist and you are in the UK, um, jump on that register because you're going to get extra support and access to those things. But equine nutrition, as well as human nutrition, dog and cat nutrition, it's so complex because it really is so specific to that individual. And I think what people often forget is, you know, it's not possible to just ring the vet on a busy day and over the phone say, well, I normally give this, 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 and this, and now this isn't working, so what should I do for this? It's it's too, like, I feel like um, 
just put my head in my hands straight away because we used to get these phone calls in practice and it's too complex it's not possible to do that and if the vet knows your horse really well then they'll be able to come up with a solution maybe there and then but often it takes you know a full in-depth thought process of taking a clinical exam actually going and looking at the condition of the horse seeing what they're being fed and then it's small changes you can't change everything at once or you've no idea what's worked and what hasn't so there's definitely lots of little elements to nutrition and to finding the kind of nutrition plan that's going to suit your horse and it does take a while I mean what do they say even with probiotics Nancy doesn't that take a number of months before you see an effect yeah it does it and it each individual is a little different. So every biome within the intestines um, responds differently. And I think it's the same way with nutrition because it's just not what they're eating or what's as fed. It's um, how they're digesting it and what's going through without absorption and maybe parasites are playing a role. It could even be a, a lack of movement and somewhat being um, depressed. So um, there's a lot involved, especially in horses with nutrition, because so many of us don't manage our horses in the same way. And I think that's a really interesting point that came up in the paper when they discuss appetite. So, you know, taking into account, obviously the likes and dislikes, but they gave an example where some horses are reluctant to eat certain um, feed formats. So some don't like mushy, wet bran. They're just picky. They prefer a drier um, nut, I guess, versus some will prefer that for it to be wetted down. Um, certain environments play a role and obviously new environments are going to be stressful for a horse they're not going to want to particularly eat in those scenarios but also it was saying some horses might be reluctant to eat if they're separated from companions so giving them an opportunity to be near their companions but not too close because as we discussed in last week's podcast you get um competition between them when we were talking about putting hay out in the fields and how the horses kind of have to compete and they don't get on as well in those cases. So it's, there is a fine balance between behavior and nutrition as well. Yeah. And so many of the veterinarians do not um, focus or concentrate their research or their studies, uh, at least as far as continuing ed goes on nutrition. Now, the American College of Veterinary Nutrition has guidelines that they believe equine veterinarians should have when they graduate. But then, and these are like judging body condition scores and uh, estimating weight using a tape. Um, You know, there are limitations to those things as well, but they don't encourage continuing education in that area. And so that's why a lot of veterinarians pick up an equine nutritionist that they can refer to for them to do the nitty gritty look at how is this horse living? What is it being fed? 
what might might be affecting absorption and is the disease this horse has a result of nutrition or worms or you know the whole package it's like a whole horse system yeah and i think another thing to be mindful of is i mean that's the reason we need nutritionists like nutritionists would be such an important registered profession when it comes to equine and to small animal but if you have a vet that's equine only or if they're mixed and they do farm animal and they might also do small you have to think about how much time they have in a year to do their continuing professional education and then say they only have a certain allotment like a certain budget in practice or a certain amount of time where they can fit it in. Because a lot of these vets, and especially equine and large animal, they work crazy hours, you know, especially in the springtime. And when it comes down to them choosing the education that they're going to do, a lot of the time they do choose the more, I suppose, like emergency or pertinent um, webinars and talks and uh, conferences because the ones to do with, emergency situations surgical situations it's the more life or death ones that they're going to continue to brush up on and I think nutrition unfortunately slides to the back of that because nutrition is something that we can take our time to figure out but it's so important as a baseline for a healthy animal so they don't get to the stage of having um diseases that are related to poor nutrition and when we think about them getting Cushing's or um getting oh what was the other one as well it's just gone from the top of my head was that the um oh equine polysaccharide storage myopathy pssm yes we and we did an episode on that one of our early episodes actually is on that topic yep and then in uh, most of the nutrition education that's recommended is we've done an episode on almost all of them Kate because insulin resistance gastric ulcers equine metabolic syndrome uh, performance horse nutrition I mean that's so much different than feeding a pasture pet or one that is just ridden, maybe trail ridden on the weekends, say. And then Cushing's, um, the PSSM. And then also there's a specific nutrition course for horses who have arthritis and joint pain. So that one was kind of new to me that just like in people, certain proteins can attack joints and make them more inflamed. So I, I had never heard that before. Yeah, and definitely um, the prevalence of, I suppose, lipids, tissue, or body fat um, triggers Mm. arthritis and triggers inflammation. And it kind of creates this cycle of inflammation and pain if there is a problem in a joint. So again, nutrition and controlling calorie intake and how much expenditure they have and that you can't judge that from over the phone. You know, you have to see that horse, you have to know and body condition score them and work out if they're overweight, are they an ideal weight? Are they a little on the low side, which always 
first protocol is to give them a dose of worming. See how that works. Yeah, um, I did look up one of the papers. It was a 2022 paper, so just published this year by Nichols et al. And it's an investigation into equine nutrition knowledge and educational needs of equine veterinarians. And these are just a few of the stats from this paper. 21% of veterinarians in the United States feel confident on equine nutrition counseling. So that means like 79% don't feel confident about their nutritional information. And then 75% did not pursue continuing education in equine nutrition. So like Kate uh, said, it's on something else that maybe is more trauma or catastrophic or disease oriented, that not just nutrition. And then um, they usually look at improving their nutrition knowledge 65 minutes per year on average. So that once again is a time, you know, farm vets, equine vets, they're always going and they get the calls 24 seven. So um, 82.2% provide nutrition advice to clients. So that's a little bit above what I forecasted with that 21% feel confident. So 82.2, they might not feel confident, but they're still going to do the counseling because they feel like that's part of their job. So that's where the equine nutritionist may be a PhD or um, in our country, it's so hard because we don't have certifications and we don't have continuing eds. And it would really help for owners and trainers to be able to look at someone's credentials and say, well, you know, this one really knows what he or she is talking about. So many times we're sent to the feed company representative and sometimes they don't have that science background even a master's in and um, like the master's we did in equine science there was a nutrition module in it mm -hmm. which was absolutely brilliant so that's the thing i mean if there's not a possibility for a nutritionist to be registered in your country then do just have a look and see what um, background they have where they studied if they've done a master's or if they've done a PhD in it. Um, because the thing is you're paying for this advice and you want to make sure you're paying for advice that's worth the money and is going to actually work for your horse as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice because I wish they had continuing eds for master's graduates that we could keep up with the newest trends. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you and I, we try to keep up because we look for the research, but not everybody takes the time to do that. And then it doesn't really, you know, go towards anything when you do that. But I do have a group where I get continuing ed credits for any hoof care um, courses that I take. So I wish we did had the same thing for nutrition, because I think that would help separate the hobbyist from the people that really are wanting to use evidence-based solutions. 
And that's the thing is, I mean, it's another area of the equine community that we need to focus on and grow to be able to kind of challenge the ways we've gone about tackling nutrition in the past, I guess. You know, there definitely will be tips and tricks that you pick up from having experience and time in the industry, but they're not necessarily going to suit your horse. And it's that kind of, you know, when you're at a yard and there's people chatting and, well, I did this and you should try that. And each horse is so individual. It doesn't mean it's going to work. And it's nutrition is such a long process where you remove one thing or you add one thing and you wait and you wait and you wait to see the result. Because Nancy, you'd mentioned about your mayor's coat. That's Mm. not something that's going to improve overnight. No, it it took uh, quite a few months. I just noticed she was not the jet black. She used to be now, granted, at the end of summer, she does get a little bleached out, but not like she was last fall. So I reassessed her diet. I made sure it was balanced. And then I made sure she got routine worming um, just to cover sometimes an immune dysfunction can uh, make them a little uh, more, I, I guess, uh, what would you call it, Kate? Prone to carry a little bit higher parasite burden. And yeah, so, and the parasites can trigger the immune system as well. And, and so I knew something was going on. Um, I did pull blood on her and she was borderline. Um, on the ACTH scale. I knew she wasn't fully Cushing's, but she might've been heading that way. So I immediately made adjustments in her diet, made sure she was getting uh, quality hay, quality uh, feedstuffs, and made sure that the requirements were being met 100%. And she never really, um, she's not a, picky eater let's put it that way so anyway but oh she's jet black again and sleek and looking good she's 21 we pulled blood on her um, about three weeks ago and she reduced her ACTH by almost 42 points so she's no longer in that risk category so something was going on but I started to see real results by December. So I noticed she wasn't a good color in August. So that took almost four months before the change in the diet and the change in um, the nutrients and minerals really showed in her hair coat. Yeah, it's just such a long process. And that's why you definitely have to have patience throughout as well. And you, um, if you are improving something or making a change. And, you know, I could see things where she was getting a different body shape to her. So her muscling up was coming along. Her top line was improving. I could see those subtle changes because I kept taking photos of her and comparing them every couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, my God, she's back to her normal color again and uh, it it really did take good time and keeping at it 
in assessing, you know, what's going on here. She gets plenty of exercise, movement, plenty of forage. The only thing I figured she was missing some minerals um, that weren't being met 100% and I added those and then the worming. So who knows, it might might be the cart before the horse, but something worked. So there's that art farm again with science that you just kind of go with, with your gut feeling and work with your vet. And your vet might be able to suggest a nutritionist as well. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely always worth going to them as the first port of call. Yeah. Um, and if you do have, if you have any concerns, but even if you just feel like, you know, your horse or your pony isn't thriving or the big one I always think is as they get older, when is the moment we make a change? You know, when do we need to consider making those changes to diets to support age? And like older animals, they're not going to be able to filter as efficiently when it comes to certain metabolites they're also going to need um, certain joint support and things like that. And just being able to have that chat and work out, okay, well, my horse isn't there yet, but you know, in the next couple of years, we're going to have to sit down and have this talk again. And at least it's at the forefront of your mind. Yep. And you have to consider their social interaction because separating her off the pasture was not an option because she enjoys that so much that I didn't have the heart to pull her off away from her friends and isolate her. She is too much of a social butterfly. So um, kept her out with her friends, kept things as close as I could to what she was used to. I just massively improved the diet and then, um, you know, a little bit more exercise, which for a senior horse, I do mainly walking and weight bearing exercises. And then, um, you know, it, it just all worked out. But sometimes it is hit and miss. And uh, I just kept running things uh, by the vet. And he felt like we were on the right track. And sure enough, the blood results don't lie. They were the when they came in, I was absolutely thrilled that, you know, that's part of the neat stuff about horse keeping is when things work out. <laughs> yeah, when you it know? goes right. And when it goes right and you you feel really good about the decisions you made and the little things you followed what the horse was telling you that, you know, her coat color was telling me something was off. So anyway, um, it, it, this is a good lead in. Now they did say this is, is an introductory paper and there's going to be a series of more in-depth articles on specific conditions. So uh, I went to a seminar that Pat Harris um, was the speaker and it was absolutely fascinating her, her feeding techniques and her nutritional support. So um, I'll be on the lookout for her next article to come out. And we can update you once that um, comes to light. So once we're able to see what the next topic will be, it's something that there is constantly work and research and money going into because, I mean, nutrition in horses or in any animals, it's such a massive market. And it can be, because it's such a massive market, it can be such a minefield. And 
So if you're new to horses and you don't know where to start and it's a bit overwhelming, don't feel bad. Like it's there's so many options out there. There's so many brands. I remember when my mare was quite young and she had an allergic reaction once to a feed that we started feeding her and then another time to a supplement we added to her feed. So it's just, it is tricky and it can be really stressful as an owner, especially when you see their eyes are all swollen and they've got that big puffy anaphylactic shock face. It's absolutely awful. If you do need any kind of help or advice, just go to your vet first or look up a registered nutritionist if you're in a country where they can register. If you're in um, the US, there are loads of nutritionists who have put in the work and have done the study and have the credentials. So take that extra 20 or 30 minutes when you're searching them to just go through and see. And the ones who have the credentials, it'll be at their forefront of their websites or their bios or their information. It, you won't be able to miss it. They're going to say plain as day, I have done my master's. I've done my PhD. This is how I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And they'll always do a balance, um, you know, balance what you're feeding each entity, each mineral, and it'll be as fed because there's no way they're going to analyze the output but you'll at least be able to know what you're feeding. And then uh, you'll be able to tell if your horse has feed left or they dribble it. Um, you know, the behavior is a big part of this too. And then um, you'll be able to know well how much they're actually taking in if you use a scale and you can weigh what you feed every day and then you can weigh what's left. You'll know what they took in and then... Um, you know, you can look under the feed tub and see what how much they're dribbling. Maybe they need a, a dental appointment. So there's a lot to it. And I'm uh, excited to see the next article that she comes up with. Definitely. I think that's everything I had for this paper, Nancy. Had you anything else? Nope, that's it. it um, I'll put a link to the abstract. I think it is a uh, not open access. So I'll definitely put a link up. You can read the um, abstract at least and get references for the research. And some of those are open access. Perfect. And next week, Nancy and I will be talking about the Kentucky Derby and one horse in particular, Rich Strike. So you can join us next week. We're going to do a live um, Spotify Rooms talk on that and is that wednesday next week nancy seven british standard time 1 p.m your time yes that's correct yep we'll we'll probably have the heading as richie's room because that's the horse's nickname an incredible run so we'll have a lot of information background information as well as the future for this horse and what races he, we may be able to see him in brilliant okay. so thank you everyone for listening if you want to get in touch you can get us on our social media so facebook is conversations in equine science and instagram is conversations.equinescience okay well thanks so much everybody thanks kate have a good weekend thanks nancy take care bye-bye <laughs>